Hey, this is Austin from the Gaming on the Fly podcast, and you're listening to the BS Podcast Network. Hey, this is Susan Egan, Broadway's original Belle in Beauty and the Beast and the voice of Megara in Disney's Hercules. And you're listening to the Magic Our Way podcast with Wonder Boys, Kevin, Danny, Eli, and Lee. And they are a real slice. Jumbo, everyone! Harambe! And welcome to another edition of... The Magic Our Way! Magic Our Way! Magic Our Way! Magic Our Way! The Magic Our Way Podcast! They are truly magical and whatnot. Sante Sun, everyone. You are listening to the Magic Our Way podcast from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the United States of America. We are Artistic Bus talking about Disney stuff. And this is the show in which every opinion is welcome. MagicOway.com is where you can find us. For this episode, we are continuing Danny's retrospective of 3D, 40, 3D, 40, 40, 3D? 40, 3D, depending upon your perspective. That's right. Attractions. We are discussing a history of. It's tough to be a bug. We're pollinators. <laughs> My name is Kevin. And I'm Danny. And on this show, we follow the Disney concept of edutainment, where we focus on your entertainment, and along the way, you just might learn a thing or two. Hey, hey, hey. And as always, to join in our discussion, we have our resident comic genius from ivorycomics.com, Mr. Eli Ivory. What's up, E? Oh, man. Doing good, Q. How you doing, D? Doing good, man. Feeling really good, Jimmy. Feeling really good. I'm feeling quite proper. Quite proper like? 24 proper. All the proper. <laughs> All the proper. That's right. Yes. And feeling it with us is our resident travel agent from Magical Moments Vacations, the Shaggy TA, Lee Lastavica. Proper. Proper, Lee. What's up? Proper. Proper. Solid. Proper. 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 Proper style, prop, prop, proper style, proper style. We're gonna, we gonna prop, prop. We gonna prop, prop. So, weekends, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> for today's show, we are discussing. Well, Danny, what are we discussing today, man, about this ride? As you said, man, we're going to go through the backstory of It's Tough to Be a Bug. How was it created? How did the idea come to be? That's what we're going to be discussing today. And whose idea was it to put me in the butt at the end? Um. Wow. Uh, the, the the list is long but distinguished. <laughs> I have no problem with that. So distinguished the butt that needs to be poked. You have. I show clarify that I have no problem with that. So it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I like how you're just comfortable with all these things. I am because you know being 45. It whatever. It doesn't matter anymore. You need to be appreciated. Uh, yes, absolutely. I hate you. So guys, look. Enough of my jibber jabber. Let's get to It's Tough to Be a Bug, some proper butt-poking magic. All right, Moeekin. So in talking about It's Tough to Be a Bug, this is probably my favorite, my personal favorite attraction in Animal Kingdom. Keeps me going. I love this thing. Yes. I, I can't say enough about it. I mean, it's not my favorite 3D slash 4D show. That would obviously be Muppets. But I think in terms of an attraction, I can't think of anything else in the Animal Kingdom that is more must-see to me than this. And I know a lot of people right now are just like, what the f-? I'm sorry. It, it, it's just true. I'll be honest. It's this and dinosaur. dinosaur. That, 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 I mean, if you listen to the show, you know I love dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are a close second. 
Yes. It's a very, very close second. But there's something about this show that just from the moment I saw it just grabbed me. I don't get the action on Dinosaur that I do at Tough to Be a Bug. This is mm-hmm. what keeps you coming back for more. It does. <laughs> Besides the butt poking. I anticipate that through that the entire show. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing all the people like, oh, I didn't expect that. Can I tell you something? Once it happens, you never forget it. You don't. <laughs> Freaked me out the first time it happened. It is really unique in what it gives you because I mean no other show does that that is the truth Daniel yes Daniel I love that part of the show yes it makes me happy I'm glad that it makes you happy because you always see somebody jump up no <laughs> I get a, I get a piece I was trying to give you a way out I just no I don't need a way out I'm fully comfortable with that. I know you are. I There's no easy that. way out, Eli. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no shortcut home. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I'm curious about this because this, uh, you know, this is was this the opening day attraction? This Am- was yeah. an opening day attraction. So, okay. if, you, if you're going to get into the backstory uh, of it's tough to be a bug as an opening day attraction, you're going to have to begin that story with the actual creation of the animal kingdom itself, and more, oh wow, yeah, and more importantly, the park icon, the Tree of Life. Because that's where the show is located. And yeah, absolutely. And one of the most iconic cues ever, I think. Absolutely. And we're going to get into that. We're going we're to break that down a little bit as we go on. Now, just again, and I want to do this because we did this with Mickey's Magic, and we still got people who said stuff. This is not meant to be an exact blow-by-blow account of the show itself. Just a tip. Not even the tip. No, this is supposed to be behind the scenes look at the show. This is the history, ah. the history of what went into it. Now we'll cover some of the more interesting things that happen in the show. How this came to be, the origin right. story. That is what this is concentrating. The on. why this is. Well, we can, ladies and gentlemen, you can Google or YouTube the exact blow by blow by this attraction. But we're giving you the behind the scenes. The creation point. Like you remember like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he would give you the trolley would go into the tunnel and you would learn how crayons would made. This is what Danny's about to talk about. Take us to the tunnel, baby. That's right. So so trolley, take us there. Take us to the land of make believe. With Lady Aberlin and all our fine self. All that. So uh, to trace the origins of it's tough to be a bug, we're going to have to go back to when the Imagineers were designing the Tree of Life. Now, we're, we're long past the original idea of what the, the, the icon at one point in time was going to be a three-tiered carousel. A three-tiered carousel. Yeah, at one point in time, there was an idea for a three-tiered carousel, and on the top level, it would be kind of similar to the Astral Orbiter, where you had flying animals. And on the middle level, you would have animals like um, horses. Oh, like the Kentucky Derby. Sure, something like that. And then, so you'd have the land animals that would go around the circle in in the center layer, and on the bottom layer was aquatic animals. Okay. And so then that would be in a water yeah, yeah. The so, dolphins and stuff. If I may say from a sensory perspective, that's too much. It's a lot going on. I would have been curious to see how they would have pulled off that effect. It, it sounded kind of crazy, and when you see the sketches of it, it really kind of looks a little weird. Like, how would you get people all the way up to the top layer, then the bottom layer, and then to have to get everybody out and then get everybody else back in for the second ride? It really did seem to be a bit... Um, Daunting. Well, a bit much. Uh, it's like an overly complicated Tres Leches cake. There you go. I like that. Speaking of Tres Leches, is there any uh, way we can find out uh, if our listeners were so inclined how to make a Tres Leches cake? Yes. Lee, I think, Lee, you released a video recently 
about uh, how to make the Tres Leches cake from the Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. Did you uh, not? You are correct, sir. Aha! See. See, si, senor. So go on to our YouTube channel, Magic Our Way, and uh, subscribe to that so you can learn how to cook that cake. But anyway, yeah. I digress because yeah. we C-C-C. have three layer- layers, which thankfully we didn't get. Mm-hmm. I like what we got. I love what we got yeah. as well. I love so what we got. We've abandoned the, the three-tiered carousel. And then also, like when, when first envisioned, the Tree of Life wasn't really uh, envisioned as this 140-foot tall tree it was a 50 foot banyan tree that kids could climb and in the surrounding area would have been like a kind of like a it would have been like a playground for children so a big ass tree that would have been a funny weenie <laughs> well, kids like you come up you come through the oasis and there's kids climbing over the weenie so that, that was another envisioning of the tree of life is it was just going to be this 50 foot banyan tree that kids could climb and everything like that but as the idea developed the tree of life began to grow and evolve into more of what we know today as what nature does that's exactly what it is it finds a way yes and in finding the way like it, what's interesting about it is like the final look of it was based upon a, a particular bonsai tree that they found at the M- International Flower and Garden Festival over at Epcot. Hi, bonsai. Hi, bonsai. Yes. yes. Is this same tree? Is this same tree of life we found on Bank of uh, World uh, Showcase together? Hi, same tree has synergy. Yes. Yeah. Sweep the leg. Don't be a coward. Yeah, be a coward. So, as they decided that this tree needed to be quite a bit bigger from our 50-foot banyan tree, uh, the imagination on this thing ran wild, and now you get this 145-foot, 14-story tree, but with bigger ideas come bigger problems. And so, the Imagineers had to figure out a way that they could create this massive artificial tree strong enough to withstand the type of hurricane force winds that you would have to face while in Florida. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know how they did it. Okay, okay. So now this is a a rather famous story. So, Kevin, do you know how they did it? I did because we have a lot of those in our Gulf of Mexico, by the way. Ah, well, connects back to Louisiana in a bit of a way. Absolutely. Go ahead. That's all life. Well, they had a structure that they found out was already accustomed to such forces of nature. Yes. And that was the oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico. It oh. withstand those kinds of winds, plus the pressures from the ocean. So it had the structural integrity that was needed to build the Tree of Life. Very good, sir. You get an A. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as the story goes, one day an Imagineer was just sitting at home watching an educational TV program about offshore oil drilling in the Gulf of Mexico when he had an epiphany upon seeing said structure. That's so random. <laughs> no, it's, it's great because if you think about it, how far the deep those things go, Yes, it's, it withstands a lot of pressure. So the structural engineers have already accounted for what they're, the Imagineers are thinking of we have to account for. Right. No, I'm with that. I saw Deep Water Horizon. I'm just saying it's just so random to do just watching the show and of he could be like watching Wheel of Fortune anything. He's like, oh, and they're oh, like, oh my God, that's it. That's what I need. Well, that's all what having an idea is, is when your brain is trained upon looking for something, you're going to find it everywhere. When you're focused on one thing and you see enough stuff, that's how you're going to have your best ideas is now your mind is open to the idea of seeing possible solutions 
everywhere. Yeah, yes. that's it's that's like the, the erector st- the erector set story, mm-hmm. oil rig story, all kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing. So the core structure of those platforms were just the right shape to serve as the framework for the Tree of Life's trunk. And we're also strong enough to support the massive weight of the steel branches as mm-hmm. it is that lo- it's a very believable tree, even though it's not really a tree. So why do I mention all this? Not uh, a tree. Not a tree. Not, not a, tree. a tree. Why do I mention all this? Because the structure of an oil drilling platform offers a very wide base, if, if you've seen it. And this gave the Imagineers a rather large open area at the base of the Tree of Life. And with it came the challenge of having to figure out what to put there. Ah, uh-huh. interesting. Okay. Ah. What do you do? What do you do? We got this big base. What are we going to stick there? Yeah. What, what, would y'all, what would y'all put in y'all's big base? <sighs> I'd put a ride. <laughs> you put a ride? I'd put a ride. Oh, no, I, I would put a ride through the tree's vascular system. Oh. Because we know how those uh, water gets into the system of a plant. Well, interestingly enough, Kevin, they kind of were going to go that route for a bit. Really? They were. But not a, not a ride. Not a ride. I didn't not know a ride. It was going to be, well... An early solution was to turn it into an upscale restaurant, which we were going to call the Roots Restaurant, which was supposed to be the park's finest eatery. That was one of the ideas. I, I'm glad they scrapped that. I think that's a good name, the Roots. It's no, a, no. Well, I love the band, <laughs> but the movie kind of sullies me. Uh, just saying. Oh, I, I see but what it, you're saying. You know, if it was a killer. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, you're talking about like root vegetables? <laughs> no, he's talking about Kunta Kente. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, like, oh man, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I forgot about your people. That's that white guilt, man. I'm so oh, sorry. Man. <laughs> I forgot about it's John Abrams. showing through. That's Wait, okay. Kevin, what they, the Imagineers ultimately settled on was simply making the Tree of Life a walkthrough attraction instead. Okay. Kind of like, like, you know, like you see at the castles that you have in, in Paris and like Anaheim to a lesser extent. I know they have those trails that surround the Tree of Life that are walkthrough. That's, yeah. It's interesting that they would have included that. You would have been able to walk around the interior of the tree and kind of explore the, the tree root system. And then there was even a plan for guests to be able to ascend to the top of the tree and overlook Discovery Island and the rest of the park. And there's uh, even concept art you can find where guests could climb up into the top of the Tree of Life and look out. So there was a plan to be able to traverse the interior of the tree, but that in that space where the theater is, it just wasn't quite big enough to do a really elaborate ride system. Yeah, but it'd be like Tom Sawyer, right? Like the, no, I'm sorry, not Tom Sawyer, like a Swiss Family Robinson. Like I was that about kind to say, tree. let me yeah. think. They, they looked at Tarzan the Treehouse and they're like, nah, let's not make the guests yeah, climb. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> they don't really like that. This we is gotta, a much bigger tree. Yeah, gu- guests don't like climbing after a long day. Right. <laughs> no, it's kind of hot out there. But I tell you what, a restaurant would have been pretty badass. I a restaurant would have been pretty badass. Especially if it was the best restaurant on property, on that property, I think I would have dug that. It depends on what they would have served. I wouldn't eat no wood shavings. I'm just saying, I'm not a fan I mean, of that. when the park closes and I emerge from the restaurant, I'll be like, I have emerged from the tree of life <laughs> and I am sustained. Yes. Thank you. I have made it. I am full. I shall leave now. Yes. Through the oasis, I am happy. Hi. Is this a restaurant? Hi. Hi. Two for one. Okay. Good for that. <laughs> but then I digress. That would have been cool. We all digress. Yes, sir. Yes. Totally digressing. So anyway, we go with this vision, that's that's what we ultimately settle on. It's going to be a walkthrough attraction, and they do an Animal Kingdom concept meeting. 
and they lay out the park model, the concept art, everything that they have to go along with it. And lo and behold, who's there at the Animal Kingdom concept meeting? Who would be making decisions at this point? Jerudy. No. <laughs> Damn, we both said it got Bob Eiger. Who? Overrules Joe Rody at Michael Eisner. Michael Eisner. Yeah. Michael Eisner took a long look at the concept art and the scale model for the Tree of Life. And he then turned and asked the Imagineers, kind of matter of factly, if the interior was large enough to house a theatrical show. Wow, because he was all about the movies, right? He was all about the he was all about the theater and he was all about the movie. Like this was when Disney was starting to get into the Broadway scene, right? This Ah, is true. You're right. It was absolutely a time when Disney on Broadway started. So Michael put it out there to the Imagineers. Could this area be large enough to have a theatrical show? And all the experts in the room agreed that it was. But putting a theater into a tree trunk (laughs) could only really be accomplished with major, major modifications to what they had already had set in place. So Michael gave the Imagineers six weeks to see if they could come up with a show to put inside the Tree of Life. That's not a lot of time. Well, he's not saying you have to come up with the technology. Just give me the idea. Just give me the idea. you got six weeks to pitch me with an idea. Just an idea it. that I'm like, you know what? Boom. That's an iconic attraction in our park icon itself. Wow. That's a lot that's of pressure. He just wants an idea, and that's it. That's all he's asking. A that's solid idea, Pitch though. me with something that can go in there. That I think is worthy. I got to think, though, if you're an Imagineer or like whoever's in this meeting and then you hear your boss say, yeah, you got this short amount of time to give me the sketch or the layout. Man, I'm on myself. If I'm these guys I'm like, how are we going to put something in the tree? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, six weeks is a long time to come up with just a concept of an idea. It's a month and a half. It, really, all you're asking for is give me an idea that people would gravitate towards that I think is worthy of being the centerpiece of the park. So it's fair to say, Danny, since they already had a structural thing that they needed for the set attraction, they didn't have to worry about that piece. They had to worry about what the show would be and how the mechanics of the special effects would, what kind of room it would need. Sure. I I think they're like, yeah, work within the limitations that you have. Obviously, this is a little bit smaller than what you would need for a full-blown ride system that's really going to take people in and around but at the same time we've got enough space here we think that we can put a theater perfect i love it so the imagineers begin coming up with several concepts for the theatrical show that that michael eisner was looking for and so they came up with films obviously theater style sure they came up with audio animatronic shows and they came up with several combinations of both really and those concepts really varied in, in both tone and style. They did majestic tributes to the wonders of nature. And they also did, and this is going to kind of bring us full circle, like more of a, a character-driven fable featuring the cast of one of Disney's most successful movies, which leads us back to our old friend, Kevin Rafferty. <laughs> ah, yeah. Kevin, okay, excellent. I'm glad he didn't do the, the whole run around stuff because that sounds like sword, but okay, go ahead. Kevin, uh, again, for those unfamiliar, it didn't catch our last show about what Phil her magic. He was the creative director and show writer over at Walt Disney Imagineering and the source of most of the info that you're hearing. And he had what he felt was a great idea that he just believed was an obvious fit 
for the Tree of Life. He was inspired by Disney's recent release of The Lion King. So to him, it just made perfect sense that Rafiki, the the shaman uh, baboon from the film, would make a perfect host for a magical, mystical presentation about the animal kingdom. And in this show that he was pitching, an animatronic Rafiki would just draw images that would then come alive and bring his stories to life. And the message of his presentation would be about the value and importance of all animals in the the kingdom right and so he had the idea scripted and storyboarded and Rafferty pitched it to Michael Eisner six weeks later and Eisner just loved the pitch and Eisner even said that on a scale of one to ten that show is a ten sweet right off the bat oh my god if oh there's an if oh no (laughs) it was anywhere else in the park Oh, man. see, that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, you got the pressure to make something. Then you're like, here you go, I made it. And then the dude's like, yeah, if only that was somewhere else. Well, my, but my jaw just why you wear diapers because you're working so long. Well, think about it. Think about it. You're too far ahead, man. Think about it from Michael Eisenstein. It's like anywhere else in the park, this show's a tent. But we're talking about the tree of life. This is the icon. Ah. This is the first thing people see. This is what they recognize as a symbol of this park. This show's got to be better than a 10. Bigger. Bigger, better than a 10. In the Tree of Life, it's an 8. Anywhere else, 10. I just feel bad for Kevin. Can I just say that? Rafferty? Not you, Kevin. No, but yeah, Rafferty. Kevin Rafferty. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a lot of pressure then to come through with it. And then, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Absolutely. He he was disappointed. I'm was, drinking that night if I'm Kevin Rafferty. Oh, well, well we're going to get to it. No, I, I, you get I, to I, him I, drinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to him being disappointed. He doesn't go into his amount of drinking yeah, okay. in his interviews. I'm going to drink for him. If he did, I'd welcome him on the Magic Ori podcast. Well, right. it's almost a prerequisite except for Lake. Except for Lee, yeah. <laughs> Lee, Lee can't drink. No. Well, that's okay. I'll just make up for my inability to drink with y'all's extra drinking. I'll, I'll, I'll take that hit for you. We'll take that hit for you, well, sir. when you drink, cars get wrecked. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll make sure Odul sponsors the show for right. you. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, just, just my shows, though. Right. Yeah, just your shows. Just your shows. <laughs> Proper. So... Tree of Life, it, it was a good idea, but for the Tree of Life, Michael wanted something that really sparked, that was really special. And so Kevin, who loved his idea of the Lion King, is quickly trying to formulate in his head different ways to make his show better and pitch it to Michael how to make his Rafiki Lion King show bump up from an 8 to a perfect 10. But before he could even do that, Eisner just lights up with an entirely different idea and screams, Bugs. What? Pixar was busy at work on a film about Bugs. And Eisner told Rafferty to head over to Pixar immediately to see what they were doing because this new show needed to be about Bugs. Is this before they own Pixar or this is while they own Pixar? This is before they own Pixar. Interesting. But they still had the rights to make theme park attractions based upon if you remember oh the, yeah 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 yeah. Yes, within yes. those first few films yeah like you know, that was the whole thing like oh Disney bought Pixar now they can do anything with the character well they could do anything with those earlier characters that they wanted to because they already own the likeness rights for the parks so wait did Kevin's original idea become Legend of the Lion King well, no, 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 no. Or am I getting away? We're jumping ahead again. No, it didn't become Legend of the Lion King. It, it, it more. 
Or what, Festival of what, the Lion King. Festival of the Lion King was more of a retelling of the show. What Kevin wanted was something completely different. Oh, really? Yeah, Legend of the Lion King more came about because they didn't have anything to do with that space where Beastly Kingdom was supposed to right, go. Right, right, right. So, right. panicking, they grabbed the floats that they used for the Lion King yeah. parade this and they retrofitted it and they came up with the, the idea, hey, we're just going to tell the Lion King story around these floats. That's what that was. What Kevin's idea uh, was was a little bit different. Yeah, you know, I said that because somebody probably thinking that. No, 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 no it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. now, as we were going to say before, hey, Kevin Raffrey is completely bummed by this development. I mean, for starters, the dude hates bugs. Okay. He just absolutely hates bugs. They scare him, they freak him out, and for that matter, most people just don't like bugs. Yeah, I don't invite a flying cockroach to have a meal. Although I totally I, understand. Can I tell you, I do remember when we were younger and we were in high school, and uh, I, I walked in your room and there was a cockroach. I was like, Eli, dude, there's a cockroach. He's like, man, leave me alone, he ain't bothering you. <laughs> You remember that? <laughs> yeah, I was young. I was young, did I? Oh, I know. You were thinking it was like like the Huxable friend cockroach. No, well, yeah, you can't date my daughter neither. But now, <laughs> but now you know that was my parents' house. But now that I have a house. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I killed like 18 flies today. Like, mm-hmm. that's a different story in time, but my point is, is like, yeah, once you own your stuff, you don't want invaders hanging around. Yes, once it's yeah. your stuff, now you care about the outside yeah. invaders. Because so, you tell your parents, like, hey, get that. They're like, yeah, it's your problem. Like, but that goes house. back to his point. People just don't like bugs. Yeah, this, they're crazy. This dude's struggling to figure out how in the hell he's going to be able to make a compelling, entertaining show about bugs when the majority of the world just don't like them. And he still liked the Lion King thing. And even more so, he's like, you know, dude, this is supposed to be the animal kingdom, not the insect kingdom. Right. Why am I creating a show about bugs for a park about animals? Sponsored by Raid. But that's when Kevin Rafferty stumbled upon a shocking revelation for him. All right, what's that? So the dude, being a diligent soldier, he went out, he marched out, he went and bought a bunch of books on bugs because he's going to give Michael the show that Michael wants because he's like, shoot, this isn't my vision, but I want to appease the boss. I want a bonus. I, well, I don't know about a bonus, I but... Yeah, I want a job. I want to keep a job. There you go. I want to eat that's coming from bugs. Fine enough. So he marched out, and he picked up a bunch of books on bugs. Okay. <laughs> that's so, got to be tough read. He grabs the first book, and immediately upon opening the book and turning it to the first page, he discovers that not only were insects animals, but they're like 80% of the world's species. Oh. And the meeting is like, damn, Michael Eisner's a freaking genius. Yeah. And he paid my checks. How damn. the hell is Disney going to do an entire park about animals and leave 80% of them the f*** out of it? Ant-Man would be happy. Damn, nature, you crazy. <laughs> damn it, nature. I thought you were going to tell me it was a pop-up book and a, a bug jumped on him and he freaked out or something, but no. A, bu- a bug popped out of me. He's like, 3D! I got it! I got it! <laughs> That's gotta be the grossest book, though, to read ever. <laughs> so Props na- to him. Now the dude's like, re-energized. He's like, oh, shit, we got it! We- it's not like, I don't want to do it. We gotta do bugs. Because bugs make up 80% of the world's species. They're animals. How can we do the animal kingdom? Leave out bugs. Makes no sense. So now he's got renewed enthusiasm, and he, de- he just dedicates himself to figuring out the story. So he starts... Pouring through everything that he can get his hands on. He starts, you know, researching anything and everything, going through the Disney archives. And then he goes driving out to Pixar. And that's when 
he sits down with John Lasser and starts learning about what they're doing with the development of A Bug's Life. But at this point in time, he comes to find out that John Lasser has only really approved the character designs for Flick and Hopper. All the rest of the bugs in the movie are still in development. They're still trying to figure out oh, who's oh, making wow. it in. Who's like, how I'm going to eat. How I'm going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> the bugs eat better than me at this point. Now, John Lasser gave Disney Imagineering permission to use the characters of Flick and Hopper. But apart from that. They couldn't really get any additional assistance from Pixar because they were way too busy trying to get this movie ready for its release date. So, wait. So it, they're still working on the movie at the same time they were thinking about this attraction. Yes. Oh, and wow. they didn't even know that did, that Kevin was coming by. And we're jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, in fact, I mean, if you go back and look at it, Disney's attraction is tough to be a bug. Opened way before the. The actual movie opened wow. up. You don't hear that. It was like Austin. seven or eight months before a. Uh, wow. It's tough uh, for a Bug's Life premiered. It's tough to be a bug premiered at the Animal Kingdom, and, and you never hear of that. You, that's happening like anymore. reverse energy. I'm about to say, and that's when Disney said, "We'll never do that again." <laughs> <laughs> Holy <laughs> sh! Ever. We were ahead of ourselves <laughs> being creative. We have to be six I mean, months after the fact. Wow. But seriously, though, like, what if something that happened in production, and you hear about this all the time, that, you know, this movie was supposed to come out, but something happened, and so we had to release this movie before it, and all other stuff. I mean, how crazy would that have been if something happened, and, like, maybe there never was a Bugs Life movie? That, that's uh, you know? it, entirely possible, but I think at that point in time, with CG animation being the way it was... Pixar just hit a home run with Toy Story. I yeah. think it was it was a far gone conclusion that hey guys, safe bet. yeah, they're, I, they're doing this come hell or high water. And I think uh, and then like you also said earlier, like Iser was like, hey, his idea for Bugs, go do this. So I'm pretty sure Ida has a little stroke at this point to at least be like, I got a little confidence that this bug thing is gonna happen. Well, I think he had a little bit of a, uh, I think he had a lot of confidence. I should say, in <laughs> yeah, Pixar. Fair. I mean, they 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 just revolutionized animation. I mean, they could have come up with a movie about talking squirrels, and they were going to do that next. That worked well for a Geico commercial, <laughs> actually. I thought I mean, that was funny. In- interestingly <laughs> enough, though, there's only ever been like three attractions in a Disney park that's open before their corresponding films open. Oh, wow. Oh, what a trivia question. A- any, any guesses on this? Before, like, just in general? Oh. This is going to be tough. This is going to be really tough. But there have only ever been, to my knowledge, and from what I could find in my research, and I'm sure some listeners out there is screaming. Like, we know this! Armadillos! I know there's a fourth. I'm going to find something. God. <laughs> oh. Pirates of the Caribbean? No. Oh. Okay, so an attraction that came out a little bit before it's... You've got counterpart. There's two of them. I don't think you have a shot at. There's a third that maybe you've got a shot. Oh at. boy, hey, Kevin. Kevin more so than more so than anybody. No man, haunted haunted mansion <laughs> was well. More. I know, I know, I know. Oh wow, that's a great. Y'all want me to go through them real quick? I kind of want to do. I'll, I'll give you the first two. I kind of want to like pause it and then try to figure Aladdin's it out. But flying saucers or whatever. It's All called. right, so we're talking no. about movies that came out before the attraction. The attractions came out before the movie. Attractions came out the movie. Okay. 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 I'm going to give you the first two because I, I just don't think you're going to guess. Me the, give me the first one. In 1957, the walkthrough diorama in Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland opened <laughs> two years 
before Sleeping Beauty, the animated feature <laughs> film, did. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, what Matt had a uh, tea party? Did that? Did that come out? Nope. No, I was no. worth the shot. I had to take a shot. That was after. Damn what? Um, God. The second way we won't figure out, huh? I don't think you will, but it, I think you have a chance at the third. Can we one. have a hint? Okay, okay. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a hint. You got okay. a hint. The second one, and I don't think you're going to ever get it, but the second one <laughs> took place at the Hollywood Studios, formerly MGM, when this happened. Golden Girls. <laughs> Great movie, right? No. Thunder Down Under. No, I'm just <laughs> All right. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Uh, Bugs just... Life? No, no, no. Bugs Life. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> just, honey, I shrunk the. Uh, you know, Lee's got to take his wife to dinner. <laughs> oh, wow. That's true. Oh, wait, what is it? At the Disney MGM Studios. Okay. All right. We're talking about the 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 attraction that opened before the movie. The attraction opened before the movie. The um, giant. The prop from the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kid Yo, yeah. was added to the studio backlot tour about one month before the movie was actually released. Well, was I, I did that. You I, have, I have videos somewhere of me doing that. But you know, here's the problem with you, Kevin, is like you're so, you're so intent. And I told you probably wouldn't guess the first two, <laughs> that now we're on number three, which you probably could have guessed. Yeah. But you've been so busy worrying about those first two. You ain't thought about that third one, have All right, you? come on. No, I hadn't thought about the come third on. one. <laughs> come on, be so proper. attraction opened before the uh, movie came out. This, yeah. is the, this is probably the best representation of an attraction that came out before the movie came out. Winnie the Pooh? Nope. Nope, not Winnie the Pooh. Um, let me think. Did you say what? What park it was in? I'm not saying what park. Oh, dinosaur! There you go. Oh, nice! It was Countdown to Extinction, and they released Dinosaur, and then became Dinosaur. Congratulations, sir! Good job. That's why I stick with comics. All right, nice, Kevin. Nice, Kevin. In April of 1998, Countdown to Extinction, which became Dinosaur, uh, that that opened two years prior to the release of the animated film Dinosaur. Very nice, sir. I told you. Well done, Kevin. You see, I told you if you had just been thought of. You would have, boom, you would have fired that off. In the I would have, yeah. Shot it right up there on the face. Because I knew that. I knew, I knew that about it. I know. I know you know that. Because, yeah. I mean, you always talk about Countdown to Extinction. So, there you go. Those were the three instances where, the, that were uh, up until that point in time, obviously, uh, it's tough to be a bug would be the fourth. Wow. Yes, that's yes, so that's a very rare instance. It, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. That's, that's interesting about tough yeah, to be a bug. Yeah, that's crazy. I like that they took a chance on the property. Well, I like that. that's back in the Michael Eisner years when they would take chances on property instead of the Bob Iger play it safe. Yeah, they, uh, wait till it's already Like paid. Avatar. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you ever watch that movie Tin Cup? Yeah. Yeah, it's like yes. yeah, Don Johnson's going to lay it up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that's Bob Iger. Michael Eisner let it rip. Keep it easy. Keep it easy. Until he got bit in the butt by Disneyland Paris and then the whole thing went, or Euro Disney as, as we know. Euro it. Disney at the time. You're right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, absolutely. So anyway, all that to say is that uh, Pixar was just you know way too busy trying to get its movie ready for its release date. Uh, but what John Lasseter did do was he gave Kevin Rafferty the permission to make up new characters for the uh, attraction with the caveat that they look like they inhabit the same animated world as Flick and Hopper did. So they had to be believable. You had to see these characters on film and be like, yeah, it's reasonable to assume that they could be characters in that film. So that left Disney Imagineering with like 
a couple of challenges. One, you've got only two characters from A Bug's Life. That's what I was thinking. But you've thinking. got a base and attraction off of this. Two, you still need to create this story for the attraction. And lastly, three, you have to create all of the supporting characters for the attraction and make them identifiable to a movie that you haven't even seen yet. That's what I was saying. Like, man, they ain't made the movie yet. But How you know, make people believe in a world that hasn't existed <laughs> that won't exist when the movie come out? Yeah, but what's crazy is that they did. But somebody talked and to a cockroach. That's what I think happened. The, the, attraction, <laughs> the attraction that's there now is just impeccable. Y'all know, no, no I mean, it's, it has it's nothing beautiful. nothing to do with movie. It has to deal with the characters, but it has everything everybody can relate to mm-hmm. because you never think about that about bugs. But sure. I, I like the fact that it's something that doesn't exist, so it, it doesn't exist, so it forces these guys to make something and it's Take a gamble. A it's a gamble. Yes, exactly. Well, you, you know, know? I, honestly, like, it, just, it just dawns on me, like, it, that's three challenges. They really, they had a fourth challenge as well, which is that they had the unenviable task of, of being able to find another visual effects studio that could do computer animated animation that looked in line with what Pixar was doing. Because keep in mind, at that point in time, it's tough to be a bug was Pixar's second movie. They were busy with that. And they couldn't lend their animating team to to assist. Wow. That's bull- only Toy Story at that point in time was the only <laughs> other. So they revolutionized computer animation. Now you've got to find another studio that can make computer animation and make wow. it look as good as the Pixar product. So who was it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm curious. Though. Yeah, because no, that's a great point. It's who, like, who is the company that said, I can do this? Yeah, it's better than the people who are doing it who haven't made the movie yet. This company said, bring it. We got you. We, yeah. we got your back. There was an LA-based special effects house named Rhythm and Hughes. I love Rhythm Nation. <laughs> Rhythm and Hughes? Rhythm and Rhythm Hughes. Hughes. That's awesome. That specialized in CG. And Disney hired them to produce all the 3D animation for the film. Wow. I now, wonder what they did to make them hire them. That must have been some good stuff. Well, now, mind you, now, did Pixar, what Pixar did do, to their credit, they did provide the folks at Rhythm and Hughes with plenty of Bugs Life reference material so they could get the final look. Past the two sketches of the initial characters? Well, they, they wanted to get the, the final look of flicking Hopper. Right. Correct. But they so, move forward. So this is like moving forward to where they were like, oh, look, here's some other characters we're thinking about doing. That yeah. kind of stuff. Hopper it's really more important because he's an animatronic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, he was the most advanced animatronic Disney ever right. produced at the time. That's right. So uh, wow. that's what? what ended up happening. Is they they found this animation studio. They work with Pixar to get every bit of reference material that they could. And that is the people that were charged with going ahead and anime. And they do a seamless job. Most people who see that film on a daily basis just assume it's a Pixar film. Yeah. No, I'm totally one of those people. And Imagineering also caught a lucky break in that Chris Bailey, uh, who's an old uh, Walt Disney feature animation guy. He's best known uh, you know, as the director of the 1995 the Academy Award winning uh, Runaway Brain. And mm. uh, he was available and they tabbed him to go ahead and direct this new film for the theme parks. Wow. But anyway, moving beyond that, let's, let's get back to the real world. 
Nothing is real about the story you're telling <laughs> at this point. Let's get back to it's tough to be a buck. So now, again, now, now Kevin Rafferty's got a, a real problem on his hand. He's got to create this new story about these characters that are introduced in a movie that the public hasn't seen yet. He's got to land on a story premise. How does he do it? Luck. Mm, luck is, yeah, okay, luck, this maybe, is, perhaps. This is all based on luck. But he draws upon inspiration. Inspiration. And again, inspiration. Uh, okay. National Geographic. From because we were just talking about the the short that, that Disney <laughs> produced of, of Runaway Brain. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. Because remember, I told you before, Kevin's looking all throughout the archives. He's researching as much as he can. There was a 1969 Disney short that Kevin grabbed inspiration from in order to create this attraction. Does anybody know what it is? Um, the secret lives of trees or whatever. <laughs> no, or, I thought you were gonna say the secret of Nib. not that. <laughs> no, not that one. No, that that dim. Uh, Wait a minute, it's not. It's not. It is. It is a Disney movie, though. Or it's a Disney, Disney short. Thing. It's a 1969 short. Disney short. I'll I'll, it, I'll give you a hint. It sounds exactly like the attraction <laughs> um, that Disney makes to put in the Tree of Life, except for one word. It's it's great to be a bug. No, that's no. Maybe it doesn't say right. bug. It says something it's tough else. To be a roach. <laughs> it is tough to be a roach. It's tough to die a bug. <laughs> it's tough to eat a bug. It's tough to be a bird. It's tough oh. to be it's a tough bird. To be a bird. Birds have it great. <laughs> Y'all never I heard of flights of wonder. Oh my god! In, in 1969, Disney had a short called "It's Tough to Be a Bird," and the film educated people on how birds actually help out humans, despite. Humans like using them for target practice. Uh, yeah. oh, <laughs> I saw Beastmaster. <laughs> that's that. Yeah, that hawk was awesome. So yeah. there was a 1969 short where Disney educated people about the importance of of being a bird and how birds actually help humans, even though humans are constantly trying to kill them. And it was called "It's Tough to Be a Bird." And Rafferty saw that and immediately, boom, connected to it because it seemed comparable to how people feel about bugs. Wow. Despite all they do to help us, people just would rather them be dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, humans <laughs> Even more so than birds. I like how Rafferty just, he stays within the Disney scope or bubble, if you will. Oh, he's a, he's a genius. He, dude, I mean, but, but the dude grew up in Disney. He worked. What was it? Um, oh, my God. Club uh, 33. Where he worked oh, no over kidding, there. Like, really? yeah, he's like a waiter. Well, nobody I saw it was, him. It was either Club 33 or Blue Bite. He worked over there. I can't remember off the top of my head right at, right at this moment. But, I mean, he worked at Disney and finally, you know, after a while, got laid off because he went into a job at Imagineering, got a job basically cleaning the trash cans and stuff like that. And finally ended up getting laid off and went to school and got himself educated and went back and reapplied at Imagineering and got himself hired. He had a deep love because he had worked at the parks ever since he was a young kid just scrubbing dishes. Wow, that's dedication. So when you have that kind of love for Disney, then yeah, you're going you're gonna to add in some of the history of Disney dating back a ways. And, and by the way, I mean, we, we talk about dating back a ways. We're not even going back that far because basically working off the premise of it's tough to be a bug, what Kevin was really deciding to do was to follow the longstanding Disney philosophy of edutainment. Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. and we yeah. just might learn a thing or two. That's <laughs> exactly. right. <Hey>. <laughs> so that meant if you're going to educate the people as you entertain them, because that's the philosophy of edutainment, right? I'm sure you all know that meant inviting a panel of entomologists to Imagineering 
to show off some live creepy crawlies Ugh! and answer all of Disney Imagineering's questions about bugs. So it's like Jack Hanna's thing for bugs is pretty all much. Right. Yeah. So you're inviting all these entomologists to come over here, show off bugs, answer your questions because you want to go ahead and educate the public about the challenges that comes along with trying to be a bug. So that's exactly what Disney did. And, and so they would sit around. They would ask them questions about the interesting real things that bugs do in nature that Disney could add to the show in support of their premise that it's tough to be a bug. So one entomologist would answer, well, there are soldier termites and they spray acid on their prey. And so Rafferty would be like, perfect. That's a 3D act. We'll call him the Termitator. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> so now he's got the idea of making a 3D show in his head. So then the questions start to become centered around finding bugs that could jump and throw stuff and spray stuff. And fart. Yeah. <laughs> and so another entomologist offers, well, there's a Chilean rose tarantula who throws poison quills. And he's like, awesome. We'll call him Chili. This shit's right in itself. <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> Hey, yes. So the, the experts start That's suggesting awesome. several mm. other possible, quote unquote, entertainers for the show, such as stink bugs and, as you alluded to before, Kevin, and jumping spiders. And the final challenge that the entomologists were, were given was a, a tough one, though. There was like 30 seconds at the end of the show that had to be the grand finale. So the entomologists were asked if they had the opportunity to communicate to millions of people the key points that they should know about bugs, what would they be? And their answer was pretty much unanimous. If insects were not around to pollinate and eliminate waste, we'd all be dead in about six months. Oh, wow. And that message became the theme song for the attraction. I kind of sung a, a, a brief bit of it before, but the whole we're pollinators thing. We're pollinators. And then it goes, hey, we're pollinators. If you like vegetables, fresh fruit, and flowers... <laughs> Give thanks to us bugs for our marvelous powers. If it weren't for the fact that we like to taste, you'd be out there wallowing in shoulder-high waste. Now I eat steak, though. <laughs> and so if all sure. bugs were wiped off the planet, there'd soon be no humans around here to man it. The best thing about us, you can't live without us. Still, it's tough to be a bug. And that was the message of the show, and that's how they close out the show. That's awesome. And the music was written by George Wilkins. The lyrics, obviously, they were done by Kevin Rafferty. Mm -hmm. And the show score was composed and conducted by Bruce Broughton. Now, there was one act, and Eli, um, I, I, I left this one here for you. Me? For you. Me? Who? Who? You. Ooh. There was one act that Kevin Rafferty pitched. To Michael Eisner for inclusion in the show that didn't make the cut. There could have been one more act that we would have seen in the show, but Michael said, no. 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 So, for those of you old enough to remember, and for those of you who are around about our age who've seen Mall Rats, there used to be a game show out there called... Oh, Whammies. Whammies? The dating game. The dating game, yes. You saw mall rats. What do they do at the end of the show? Oh, yeah, they yes. had, yes. Well, there would have been a dating game version. Get called, wait for it, 
The mating, mating game. game. How you doing? Wow. How you doing? Make me a contestant. <laughs> now, Flick would have played the role of the eligible bachelor. Yes, it did. Seated on one side of the little, like, you know, divider wall thingy. And on the other side of the partition, there were going to be three poisonous bachelorettes <laughs> that in nature would kill and or devour their mates. Like I a, a praying mantis, maybe. Yeah, yes, praying, you had oh the black God. widow spider. <laughs> oh, no. Black widow spider, the praying mantis, and the jumping spider. <laughs> so Flick yeah. would like, let's picture like Flick would ask bachelorette number two, we just had our first romantic encounter. What happens next? You signed the insurance policy. <laughs> and she goes, that's easy. Uh, I just bite your head off and suck your guts out. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, yeah, my God. God. I, I like the sucking your guts out part. That sounds oh, cool. Man, yeah. Just, the, bite, the biting your head off part, not so much. Yeah, these chicks did it really bad. You just go for the, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Lee. Just do the sucking the guts yeah, out part. Leave out be the like, part. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. I can tell being a, like, if this would have happened, this meeting game part, I can see myself watching that show, and I would be that motherfucker that people would be like, "Stop talking!" I'd be like, <laughs> "No flick, not none of them, not none of them, run!" <laughs> well, okay, so now when he's pitching this, who's he pitching this to? But Michael Eisner himself. So as soon as he pitches this idea, wow, Michael Eisner just gives him the the referee timeout signal, like yeah. stop, no, <laughs> bringing the whole thing to a, to a halt, and he said. There's just no way, no way Disney could do a mating game sketch. They they totally could have. I disagree with that. Well, hold on, hold on. Now, Rafferty was all bummed out because he thought this was like the funniest thing in the world. He's like, dude, why? (laughs) Why? Why not? Why can't we do a mating game sketch? Who wants to guess what Michael Eisner's answer was? It makes female. Karen, God to you that not one of you will get it right. They don't have the rights to the mating game show. Wrong. Wrong. It makes female bugs look bad. Wrong. Lee. Pixar is, cur- Pixar is currently working on a mating game uh, movie which will be released next year. Nope. There's not enough room to have the show. Nope. I want this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get it. Don't do me like that. Never. Ever. Mm, okay. Why can't you you think outside the box, sir, but you can't be this far outside the box. Damn it. I like he challenges. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't, for the sake of time, I don't know. Okay. I'm going to tell you. Because Michael Eisner replied. A, I was married. In a very serious tone. <laughs> because an ant would not date a spider. <laughs> Oh my that's, god, that's that beat me. That's a good point. There's, there's no interspecies relationships here. That is forbidden. That is, that's wrong, Mr. Ida. That's wrong. But beyond that, once the mating game sketch is cut, why Michael, we can't have ant spider babies? I love with that. For whatever reason, <laughs> ants and spiders would never date. Okay. According to Mike. What about spider monkeys? I don't know. Uh, we never got that far. Damn. Look, let's look into having him on the show. We'll ask him of what he knows about why. So, Ant Man and Spider Man would never meet. 
And that's what well, there's more reasons on that. Maybe Ant Man and Spider Woman is what you're saying. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Wasp would have an issue with that because there'd be a child, there'd be a child thing happening there with Ant Man and Spider Man. That'd be kind of that'd be twisty. But so, that's I, I disapprove of the interspecies <laughs> result that he said. I mean, like if you're already making, if I just well, they no, no, say, no, 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 you're disagreeing from it from a humanistic standpoint. In, in real, in, in real life, it would happen. Yes. You're right. An ant would not date a spider. But like that's like saying bugs don't talk to humans. You know what I'm saying? But but for the sake of entertainment, I'm with you. I think this would have yeah. been a funny sketch. But yeah. I also do think that maybe Michael was just like, yeah, we can have. A person saying that would bite your head off and eat your guts. <laughs> but I mean, I think like you, ha- yeah, no, that's fair. That's uh, that, that's totally fair. But you would I mean, learn think something. About it. Seriously, think about it. Like we rode in that attraction where it was you, me, and Hannah, and Hannah freaked out towards yeah. the trailer when the spiders dropped down and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, I didn't realize how scary it was. And I took Lily last year to see it, and Lily's ten, and I'm like, she'll be able to handle this. Out of theater, crying. Crying. Yeah. But she did. She liked the show. And so the idea that you have a, a spider in there say, yeah, I'm going to bite your freaking head off. That's, no, that's a, that's a eat fair. Eat your guts. Yeah. That's a fair assessment. I won't go down a rabbit hole because so, it's hey, crazy. Man, don't, don't question the genius of Eisner, man. I, yeah, but it's like, damn, that would have been I just picture Richard Hercher throwing his listening device across the room, whatever it would be. I would have been like, I'd have been like, yeah, don't do it. Like, I guess, yeah, you're right. You would have had to been an adult. You would have gone through the dating process. Now, I'm thinking Hannah at 20 now with the uh, oh, interested people. Oh, probably she'd probably get it. a kick out of that. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I still get a kick out of it to this day. Yeah. All right. So with the mating game sketch cut, Michael ecstatically approved everything else, though. He went ahead and, and greenlit it, and so they get started on production. So we're going to go through a couple of notes real quick on the production of It's Tough to Be a Bug, because you know coming up with all the different effects and coming up with all the different uh, animatronics and whatnot, that takes some work, right? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It's a lot of work just to get to this point. So a couple of things I wanted to focus on real quick. Who remembers the name of the stink bug? The stink bug? Oh, the uh, name of the stink bug. What was Charlie? Nope. Charlie? Did he get Charlie out of that? I don't know. Claire DeRoom. Oh, Claire DeRoom. And <laughs> if you slow that down, clear the room. Yes. Clear the <laughs> There's room. a stink bug coming. Yes. There's a stink bug. So, yes. Claire the room is the stink bug who, during the show, lets out a stink bomb that you can actually smell. Yeah. And mm. initially, the special effects team brought in a real stink bug in a sandwich bag trying to faithfully recreate the odor of the stink they bug. They smelled the bug's ass. <laughs> they smelled the stink bug. That's- and Quickly opted not to go <laughs> in that direction. I was gonna say that's dedication. Yeah, they, like, they like went with their generic stinky smell. <laughs> yeah, we'll just put something that they do. Well, 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 well now, 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 no, 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 don't go with generic. See, they did some work week after week. In fact, the Imagineers had to endure countless foul odors <laughs> to select just the right stench. For Claire. The right stake. Because it had to be stinky enough to register with the audience, but not so bad that people were like storming the doors trying to break out. Well, that's not, yeah, that's definitely clear of the rule. Maybe if it stinks, it stinks. So there's there's no sweaty taint smell. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. You got to have the extra taint in the stake. Yeah, they didn't have like just the, you know, 
crappy smell you could buy off the shelf or something. They had right. actually they had to come up with something that would be unpleasant, but not make the studio audience throw up. Right, that's exactly <laughs> it. They didn't want to make you uncomfortable for too long because people would be demanding out. Well, I wonder if the Magic Candle Company would make me a, a stink bug smell <laughs> version of that. Yeah, you might be the only one ordering that one, buddy. Uh, probably so. You're right. <laughs> Quite proper. Quite proper. But yeah, you know, so you got to put yourself in the Imagineer's shoes, though, in this instance, because. After a few weeks of sampling these kinds of smells to pick out the exact right one, you know, after a while, man, these dudes would like run and hide anytime <laughs> they saw someone from special effects coming in with yet another sample. Wait, guys, 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 I got a new smell. Let's try this out. <laughs> no, 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 no seriously, I lunch. this is the winner right here. Come on. My throat about to explode. I I'm can't serious. do it. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't do it. Everybody like ran out. They probably like whoever drew the shortest straw. Like, had to do it. That's funny. That's funny, actually. Yeah. yeah. So after a while, man, the the team finally it took a bit. They 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 landed on a couple of cents. They weren't quite putrid, but as Kevin Rafferty put it, they were obnoxiously organic. So Rafferty and his team. By this point, I, I, they had learned that when it comes to sampling these scents, one should take small, little, itty bitty, protective kitten-like <laughs> sniffs, sniffs of stank of these of these samples, because too much you're gonna throw up. Well, you're gonna ruin your knot. I mean, there's just so many of these. So only so much stank you can take. Exactly. Okay. They probably saved a lot of money on lunch, though. <laughs> that, that's good point. And car insurance. So when it came time <laughs> to make their final decision, Joe Rody, and we're finally going to get to Joe here. Rody, creative leader of the Animal Kingdom Park, That's was right. spotted in the hallway, and they pulled him into the room, and they're like, "Joe, we need you to come sample a few scents for us, real quick. We're trying to land on that perfect scent." That's funny. Hey, Joe, smell this. <laughs> yeah, bring your earrings up in here. And take a whiff for this. Well, that's the thing. Now you remember those soft little kitten-like sniffs that you should be taking. Well, according to Rafferty, Joe grabbed each of those bottles and snorted like a bull in heat. Wow. <laughs> Long and hard, just getting as much in there as he could. Get all the steak, Joe. Get all the steak. <laughs> Until Joe finally landed on the one he liked and exclaimed, ah, it's earthy. <laughs> it's earthy. I got to hey, throw up no, right now. Props, I gotta. props to Joe for taking all that in. Oh, man. And to Joe's credit, that scent is the one that ended up in the theater that you can still smell to this very day. Well, earthy. everywhere. They, they use it in, in Journey into Your Imagination. They use it for that stink smell. Is it the it's, same smell? I swear, it's, it smells this close. It smells earthy. It's the same. It's earthy. Yes. yes. There's a new scent out there that's I called earthy. I want to say yes. I want to say yes. No, Damn. no. And, and good on Joe for taking that all in. If you got to smell a whole bunch of steak and then be like, this is the right type of steak. It's got the right density of steak to stay earthy. He's, he was high. But even if you high and you smell it ass like for like three hours like doesn't that sober you up to where you're like yeah but your sensors are so heightened is like you know when perfect one comes along i'm just not creative he's enough. like yes this is earthy this was a very revolutionary and story like, what are you talking about I'm he's, talking like, about he's like he's like get me a brownie now <laughs> give me a brownie well, i just like that it puts the spotlight on the amount of 
legwork that goes into picking out stank. I mean, you. you don't think about it, but yeah, somebody has to approve bad smells, and that's somebody's job to smell bad smells to pick out the exact right. So good on Joe. And Joe smells stank for a living. <laughs> <laughs> I could pass. I mean, hopefully they get to smell some good smells too. I'm sure there's a smell department, not a bad smells department and a good smell department. Hopefully there's only just a smell department. And they get a break and can smell some good smells. Oh well, sure, smell. yeah. The Philharmagic team had to smell some good stuff. Well, the uh, oranges and so on. Yeah, that too. I mean, you know, it goes along with the job. You got some good days. You got some bad days. Absolutely. Some some days you get to smell uh, jasmine, and some days you get to smell stink bug ass. So. <laughs> well, now, I'm sure, okay, moving on beyond the stink bug stuff, I'm sure we all remember Chili, the quill-tossing yes. Chilean tarantula. Yes. Can anyone tell me who he was voiced by? Cheech Moran. There you yeah, go. I Good job, Lee, man. Now... I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna really keep it coming. Since, Come on, keep it coming. Since you're mm-hmm. since you answer that, Lee, I'm gonna put it to you first. There was another major part of that act, and he was an, an acorn weevil by the name of Weevil Knievel who pestered Chili, causing him to you know oh, miss yeah. the acorns. And he also has a very distinctive voice. Uh, do you remember who voiced him? I cannot think of it in my head. I mean, it, it wouldn't be Chong. So, not Chong. Yeah, but I, I I can't hear it in my head. Anybody else? If Anybody I could else? hear it, I might be able to guess. Oh, you would definitely guess once you heard it. I don't, I don't know. Jason Alexander. Is it really? It oh, is. Oh, wow. Kevin Rafferty was a Seinfeld fan, and he wanted Jason Alexander to perform the part because he just nice. loved the George Costanza character. That's awesome. Yes. Well, it was, but the problem was is that you know, when Jason came in to record, he assumed because the Weevil was an animated character that he should just have a, a, cor- a cartoony voice ready to go. So now while Rafferty wanted him to be George Costanza, Jason just wanted to do cartoon voices. And, and, and Rafferty, just, he didn't feel, uh, empower- he didn't want to interrupt his artistic process and be like, no, 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 just be the dude from Seinfeld. So he let Jason Alexander go ahead and pitch his voices in the hopes that one of them would land somewhere in the ballpark of George Costanza. Oh, he didn't want to <laughs> typecast. Oh, yeah. So Jason comes in, he's got all these cartoony voices prepared for the part, and he starts trying out these voices. And the first voice he does is like the squeaky little sound that was cute, but sounded nothing like Jason Alexander. And so Rafferty was like, well, that's good, but but not quite it. And so Jason performs like several more of his uh, vocal inventions. He's, he's testing the highs and lows of his range. And still, he's just not even coming close to sounding like George Costanza. Oh, wow. So he just, one after another, like Rafferty's just shooting him down. He's just spurning him. And Jason is like, all right, all right. I have a special one. I've been saving up. And he dropped his voice as low as it could go, and he did this Cockney accent, kind of like one of the chimney sweeps from, from Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> I dumb that. And once again, he does it, and Rafferty's just like, no. And Jason finally gets enough, and he gets upset, and he just blurts out, and he's like, I give up, Kevin. I just don't know what you want. <laughs> in that moment, Jason Alexander was George Costanza. And Kevin jumps up and is like, that's it! Just what you just did! I've been waiting for this the whole day! And Jay- Jason Alexander just shakes his head. It's like, 
You want George Costanza. You <laughs> <laughs> just tell me that from the beginning. You didn't want to typecast me, did you? <laughs> but, but something else that's notable is in the final stages of programming, though, for It's Tough to Be a Bug. And, and if you watch the show to this very day, this is still in there. And this was a brilliant way of being able, like, it just goes to show the intelligence and resilience of Imagineering when they spot a flaw in the show, even after the show is done and set to be uh, released for the, for the masses to enjoy. If you, when you watch that show, there was a notable pause in the show immediately after Hopper is swallowed by the iguana type creature that, that, that captures him with his tongue and, and swallows him. When, when Hopper swallowed and escapes, once Hopper flies out of sight, there's a long moment of silence where all the audience sees is an empty stage. And Rafferty, was, when looking back at the film, saw it and noticed it and was like, yeah, this is a little bit long. It's a little bit uncomfortable. What can we do? Well, by this point, the film's completed and installed, so it was too late to alter it. They couldn't do anything about the film, so they did the only thing they could think to do. Uh, they created an audio file, which is, they, they looked at as like a hole filler, where they would have this backstage banner going on where you don't see any bugs on screen, <laughs> but you hear them off screen reacting to Hopper's sudden disappearance. So pay attention when you see the film today. After Hopper escapes, you'll hear the following offstage banter between a, a hidden stagehand and Flick uh, that was recorded after the film was made, after the script was approved. The stagehand asks the question, Flick, what do we do now? And Flick responds, bring out the next act. And the stagehand <laughs> says, he refuses to come out of his cocoon. Yeah. <laughs> and Flick goes, well, we'll just have to wing it. Cue the finale. And they go right into the the end act with the pollinators and everything like that. So that was how they filled that hole in the film where there was just nothing there. And they created something out of nothing and, and got in an extra joke to boot. And the funny part about it is that because they needed to record the bit right away, they struck up a quick recording deal with the actor, director, producer, writer, and creator of Happy Days, Gary Marshall. Who's all, <laughs> you've seen him in a bunch of movies. He was in League of Their Own. He was in Pretty Woman. He's in a bunch of different things. And he was nearby editing a movie. And they stole him from his editing chair, set him in front of a microphone. Gary nailed the lines like on the first take, and boom, they put it right into the film. And to this day... Watch when Hopper disappears. There's a notable moment in the film where you see nothing. And just remember, that was recorded after the fact when they noticed that you stuck on the stage for far too long. Wow. Wow. That's a little, interesting. A little extra filler. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Uh, so with Flick as a host, it's tough to be a bug, evolved into a variety show performed by a cast of talented bug characters who real life acts demonstrated their natural survival techniques. And their message to us as honorary bugs is that being a bug is not easy, but it's a good thing they have these incredible talents to help sur them survive because if they didn't, we wouldn't either. And so that kind of leads us into the actual show itself. And again, we're not going to get into the show, but I thought it'd be funny to point out a couple of things like the cue, Kevin, you talk about it and you're right. It is one of the most intricately uh, created cues because now you're kind of getting to see the tree of life close up and you get to see all the carvings of the different animals and species that are there to be appreciated. But I don't know if y'all picked up on this or not, but with the cue line into the theater 
was designed to create the illusion that guests were actually shrinking down to bug size. Oh, I didn't get the bug size, but I knew we were going underground. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. So yeah, the the characters get bigger, or the the um, well, as the you carvings get bigger. That's a good question, Lee. As you follow along the winding path, the tunnels start to become increasingly narrower, while everything else, including the roots of the trees, start to become more enormous. Whereas your carvings were smaller before, now they're now they're much bigger. Uh, senior principal production designer Zolt Harma led an international team of sculptors to carve the animals on the exterior of the Tree of Life attraction, and he was also in charge of the bugs in the queue line for the attraction. And at one point, the queue passes by a number of posters that introduce the stars of the It's Tough to Be a Bug presentation, and they are as follows. Weevil Knievel, the acrobatic acorn weevil, and the quote is, you'll go nuts over his act. And that was written by a reviewer, My T. Oak, from the, <laughs> a- from the Acorn Street Journal. And then you have, of course, the termite aider, the explosive soldier termite. And you all remember him. And uh, the quote was, he's armed and ready for action. And that was by Tim Burr of the Hollywood Report. Ah, eat it out. Hollywood, yes. Hollow. Hollywood. Hollywood. Yes. It was left. Then you had Claire de Room, the scent elating stink bug. Her performance is a real gas, says Wilton <laughs> Flowers of the Odorlando Scent Anal. Oh, look at that. Wow. Then you have Chili, the deadly chili and tarantula. When it comes to throwing quills, he's a hit. Oh. Written by Harry Arachnid. <laughs> from the Tarantula Observer. And lastly, the Dung Brothers, a dynamic doo-doo duo. <laughs> this well-balanced pair of performers were born for these roles, Eater's Digest. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. They, they are. Go. They the yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. Now, also worth noting about this cue is, who remembers Jane Goodall? Yes, yeah, the ape. Yes. Apes. She's a scientist who worked uh, with and studied in chimpanzees. She was brought in to offer her advice and feedback to the Imagineers during the construction of the park. Well, when looking around the development of the Tree of Life, she knows that there were no chimpanzees incorporated into the tree. So, accordingly, the Imagineers decided to add one of the chimpanzees she worked with into the tree. And to this day, you can still see it right before you into the lobby it's of it's pretty tough big. To be a bug. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, pretty it's a huge. big one. I've got a picture of my kids sticking their hands in the chimpanzee's nose. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a big carving. Yeah, that's a big. But I, you know, it's funny. I didn't think. I didn't, so since I didn't know that, now it didn't make sense to me why the carving is so big, though. Well, well a you because you're shrinking down the yeah. b to, to bug size, and b because yes, I mean they wanted to go ahead and give Jane the the gift of being able to see one of her chimpanzees recreating the park because she was the first one to notice that they failed to include chimpanzees. Um, and then there's also a plaque next to it describing her accomplishments as well. So That's all. Oh, I never noticed a plaque. Oh, yeah. I'll have to it. check that out. It's there. So that's th- awesome. Then you enter into the lobby, and that's the, the pre-show uh, waiting lobby for the Tree of Life Repertory Theater. With the spoofs of the, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so you yeah. have these decorated playbills, uh, posters from past performance of off-bugway shows. Those are awesome. That oh, played <laughs> inside the Tree of Life. And these past performances included My Fair Ladybug. Yep. And I'm sure that, yeah, My Fair Lady, I'm sure you know that one. Barefoot in the Bark. <laughs> that is uh, Neil Simon's Barefoot in the, in the Park, obviously. Uh, a Grass Menagerie. Ah, Glass Menagerie. Yeah. A Cockroach Line. A Chorus Line. Beauty and the Bees. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that in the music. Yep. 
Wow. And uh, we'll get to that in a second. Auntie. Which would be Annie. Annie. Ah. Website story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to go. But no. Little shop of hoppers. Yes. A stink bug named Desire. Oh, wow. And the dung and I. None desirable. Dung and I. <laughs> and like, unlike traditional posters, these posters were, they're not decorated with snippets of critics reviews, but interesting facts about the insect world. And some of the posters designs were done by Imagineers Nicole Armitage Doolittle, who is daughter of Frank Armitage, a, a Disney animation background artist, and he later became an Imagineer. And Milton Noji, who worked for almost five years at Disney on both interior and exterior signage. Uh, also, while in the lobby, as we discussed a, a minute ago, you'll hear background music, which consists of bu- like a bug o- orchestra sounding a lot like buzzing kazoos, playing iconic songs from uh, a chorus line. One, they do one from a chorus line, like one singular sensation. Yeah, you know that yes, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Beauty and the Beast from, obviously, Beauty and the Beast. Tomorrow... From Annie, I feel pretty. West Side Story, Hello, Young Lovers, The King and I, and Tonight, West Side Story. But it's also mixed in a little bit with Flight of the Bumblebees. And in the lobby, there's a giant ball of dung just waiting to be examined with a plaque next to it that reads, In its most memorable role in the dung and I, this dung ball bounced off the stage and nearly brought down the house. <laughs> more like make them run away from the house (laughs) (laughs) now the theater itself is a tree of life repertory theater and it holds 430 guests at a time and longtime imagineer uh, Skip Lang he's the one who lent his talent to the construction and and sculpting of the interior theater space Uh, voices now actor Dave Foley recreates the voice of Flick as he did in the original film you can tell when you hear it but the voice of Hopper is not Kevin Spacey as it was in the original film but rather Andrew Stanton, who was the co-director of oh, no way. Interesting. Andrew yeah. Stanton is the voice of Hopper. And as we mentioned before, Cheech Marin does the voice of Chili, and Jason Alexander is the voice of Weevil Knievel. But in addition to that, who knows who does the Terminator? Oh, I know that one. Who? That's French Stewart. French Stewart. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I remember that one, but yeah. And yeah, because his face even looks a little bit like French Stewart. Like, you can see the resemblance. Absolutely. And the voice of the Dung Beetle Brothers was done by anybody knows? Uh, no idea. Tom Kenny. Who's Tom Kenny? That, that's not SpongeBob. Is that's it? SpongeBob. Is it really? That is SpongeBob SquarePants, Tom uh, Kenny. Wow. No kidding. And Corey Burton is the announcer and also the voice of the various bugs in there. Mm-hmm. Um as we put it, uh, Hopper, when constructed, was considered one of the most complex animatronics Disney had ever built. Uh, he's got a wide range of movements that were unique to his construction at the time. His, you know, his movements are pretty smooth and, and effortless. It, it almost makes him appear like lifelike. I mean, when you see him jump out on stage, oh my God, the effect is unbelievable. It's pretty for startling, for a, sure. A large animatronic to not be there, and then boom, right there. And the closer you get the more you get to see how huge and complex this, this animatronic really is. As time has gone by, obviously, other things have come along that have surpassed him. But anyway, uh, let's get to effects real quick. Uh, just a few. The poison quills. Now, uh, oh, that yeah. chili shoots out. Those are hidden air cannons in the back of the seat. Yes, I absolutely. hate that. I, I love it. I love the effect, but I, I always hate that whenever he's like, yep. like oh, I hate that. Gust of air. You, you feel pops. the same thing uh, in Philharmagic when they're popping the champagne cork. Yeah. Uh, the acid spray. That's when the acid spray termite, you know. Yeah, the, the water. Yeah. Right. That's uh, the, the 
water spray comes from the seat in front of you. I'm sure we all kind of knew that. The sting that you get, the gentle poke in the back, that's like a little blunt piece of plastic that is built into your seat, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. how they do that. Um, the bug swatter effect. You remember when the, the, the spiders are attacking and yeah. Hopper's leading his army? Well, that is uh, created by 50 high-speed fans. <laughs> oh, really? 30 feet uh, above head in the rock work folds of the theater that, that simulate the bug swatter effect. And lastly, uh, my favorite uh, effect is the bugs exiting the theater where they tell you to stay yes. seated as the maggots and all them uh, clear the theater. Well, <laughs> there are like hidden rubber wheels at the, the bottom of your theater seat oh. that they trigger. And when those things start to move, it feels like something just Running quickly passes underneath you. Tickles your taint. Tickles it your taint. freaks you the hell out. Yes, it does. I love it. First time. I love it. Poke in the back and the... In the Movement under your butt, yes, sir. I love oh, it. Wheels, yeah, because it's kind of surreal. It's I like love a it. Freddy Krueger moment or something. Like you, know, you just feel your seat just get a dud. <laughs> Please remain seated while the grubs, worms, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, right away. Exactly. Theater first. And if, there's no better line that sets the mood. Like if that were to just happen, people would be like, "What the hell was that?" But the fact that that line is said and then that happens, you freak like it's real. Just real quick, lastly, the stats on this thing. Show's about eight minutes long. So with uh, unload and load time for the show, it runs approximately six times an hour, which means about 2,580 guests get to see the show each hour. And 20,640 guests can become honorary bugs over the course of an eight-hour day. I always wow. thought it was longer than eight minutes. It, does, it doesn't feel like eight minutes. Uh, well, it feels like a full show, for sure. It's, it's engrossing, for sure, yeah. It's a phenomenal show. It's really one of the best things that imagine. I mean, it really kind of bums me out that Disney has really kind of moved away from the 4D shows because I really do feel like you know, most of the 4D shows that they've done, and we've, this is the second one we've covered now. We'll get to Muppets, and I think Muppets is a, a really special one at some point. There's not as much information about Muppets because it was created so long ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really a remarkable device for storytelling. And kids of all ages, old people, everything, like anybody can watch these things and really enjoy them. And Disney's kind of gotten away from it. That's why I wanted to spotlight him a little bit. So yeah, one of my favorite attractions, if not my favorite attraction in the animal kingdom, I think it's my favorite attraction. I can't think of anything else. That's a great attraction for sure. Yeah. Yeah, It's definitely something for me. It's not miss. I'm glad the lines aren't as long as when the park first opened for Mm -hmm. sure. And and the best thing about it is, is seeing it with somebody who's never seen it before. Mm. Oh my God! I mean, they have a visceral re- when you see that show. You have a visceral reaction to it. Well, for me, I, I love waiting until the end when the bugs and grubs exit and they get poked in their tank. Somebody's always like, "Whoa, I didn't see that." Uh, yeah, I, I think what I pulled away from this is like, I think it's crazy just how that came about. The, the sheer fact, pull Kevin. That's all I'm saying. Poor Kevin. That, <laughs> that man worked. I mean, like, that that's something to go through that pressure and then be told you have to make something. And then you're like, all right, here you go. I got it. And then be told, got to do something else. And then make it happen, of course. My big thing is, like, if this was made today, it just would have been the restaurant. That's fair. That's fair. It's a moneymaker. It's a signature restaurant. 
you know, da 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 da. I mean, that, that never would have even happened. It just would have been the restaurant. Lee, that's genius. That that's absolutely true. I one hundred percent. I couldn't concur more. And, and for listeners, look, if you're interested in hearing about these kind of stories and more, pick up Kevin Rafferty's book, Magic Journey: My Fantastical Walt Disney Imagineering Career. A lot of the material you heard, not all of it, but a lot of it was found in there. And it's a really, really great book to kind of bring you through the creation of a lot of stuff. I mean, the the creation of the Nemo subs is in there. I'm reading about the creation of uh, Cars Land. I mean, it's, it's probably my favorite Disney Imagineering book. That's awesome, yeah. yeah. All I know is if they had made a restaurant out of that, I wouldn't have smelled no steak meal. <laughs> I would have eaten there, though, I tell you. You would the steak too. meal? I, I would have went to that restaurant. Yeah, I would have. I'm gonna go. I don't know if I would eat stink yeah, meal, but say, I would have gone. Yeah, it, the, the food tastes great. It just smells bad. Like I nah, take I've the stink out. meal challenge. Bring it. <laughs> I know you take the challenge, but I'd be like, damn hell with that. I ain't, I ain't paid no five grand for this vacation. Smell something bad. So I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, you only about an inch away every time. <laughs> 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 Yeah, maybe close if I'm double jointed, but uh <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, man, that was freaking awesome. That was crazy. I that love, was a crazy story. Yeah, that was a great great story to hear about the background. You know, definitely check out that book. Uh maybe we'll put that on our Amazon influencer page and you can buy it off of that. So that'd Absolutely. be great. Um but yeah, I know that was awesome. Make sure you check out our Filler Magic show. Uh, make sure you let us know how uh, this show went because it was it was a lot of fun to hear about how this all came to be. And if you want to share your opinions on this, we're about to tell you how to do that in just a little bit. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed that discussion about it's a tough to be a bug. If you want to learn more about us, magicarway.com is the way to go. There you'll find our social media links, past episodes, and more. Also, you can get in touch with us to share your opinions through the following ways. You can choose the email at show at magicarway.com you can send us a voicemail via speak pipe widget, or you can call or send us a text message at one eight one five weekend. That is one eight one five mo weekend six six nine four two two six. And of course, we got a couple of guys that do things outside of the podcast. First of all, we got Eli does things with comics. Hey, Rob Liefeld here. Deadpool, Cable, X Force, Domino, Marvel Comics, Image Comics, all of it. You guys, what is up? Eli Ivory. What a great name. Eli Ivory, comic guru. I'm here to talk about you. I am here to say, check out ivorycomics.com. That's right, you. Check out ivorycomics.com. I-V-O-R-Y-C-O-M-I-C-S.com. If you're not doing that, you're missing out. You're missing out. Uh, The Savages comic cannot be beat. Cannot be surpassed. You need to check it out. Experience it for yourself. And you know the story. It's all about the glory. Congrats to you and all the magic that you're making with your Ivory Comics. Eli Ivory, comic book guru. Check out IvoryComics.com. Comic book guru. Eli Ivory. The whole package. Deadpool said to. Do it. IvoryComics.com. Right now. Lightfield out. And you hear what Rob said. You can always check out the Ivory Comic website. See Savages for free. It's all live for you to check out. You can also look at the artwork that I have for Project Geisha. 
and the Molly Be Damned. And of course, there's always a link to this awesome podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find me on Facebook.com. That's Eli H. Ivory right there. As long as you're a real person, cool. If you're a bot, got to pass you on. Uh, you can also check out the Project Geisha Facebook page. So that's Facebook.com slash Project Geisha. You can also find me on Instagram. I'm there at eivory 504 always posting up the hearts and the likes. And, of course, on Twitter, you can find me on Hancock10166. So if you appreciate the madness, then you're just bringing me the gladness. Thank you very much. And if you want to book a vacation to Walt Disney World so you can experience It's Tough to Be a Bug attraction for yourself, you can do so through Lee. Lee, tell them how to do this. Just give me a call at 832-431-1621. That's 832-STINK-BUG-BUTT. 832-STNK-BG-BUT. Email me at lee at magicrwe.com. Facebook.com. That's slash Lost Tobika Travel. L-A-S-T-O-V-I-C-A Travel. And on Instagram, you got a friend in Lee Travel. If you do any of that, we'll get you hooked up and booked up with no. Bugavika! In addition, there are so many ways to support the show as a whole, and you can find them all on our website, magicourway.com. Any way in which you can support the show is deeply appreciated. We also want to take a second and thank you for being a loyal listener. We love hearing from our listeners. All opinions are always welcome on the Magic Away podcast, so make sure you get in touch with us today. So, Mohegans, ladies and gentlemen, we say Kwaharini. My name is Kevin. And I'm Danny. Magic out! I have every intention of eating those bananas for breakfast, but I still somehow end up with tacos. Dung Brothers Coffee. You know what? Bugging ain't easy, but it got to be done. Hey, it's Lee from the Magic Our Way podcast, and when I'm not stuffing tacos down my throat, I'm listening to the Mad Hatter Radio. Adios, amigos.